Well, good morning, church. Welcome to LifePoint Online. My name is Braden Rodriguez, and I am the student 1825 pastor at our LifePoint Delaware campus. And we're so glad that you're joining with us from wherever you are, whether that be on vacation or at home or or somewhere else out in the world, man. Thank you for joining uh, with us. Uh, We are continuing on in our series called Ordinary People, and we're in week three. And in this series, we've uh, been looking at this idea uh, that we are servants. And really, uh, kind of the main thought that we have been looking at is one of our core values here at LifePoint, and that's personal ministry. That yes, we're servants, and we are to use our, our gifts and our talents uh, to serve the kingdom and to serve the body. And man, we've been uh, uh, loving this series. We've been getting to preach out of the Old Testament. I personally love the Old Testament. It's full of just a lot of uh, fun and just rich stories and just really deep stories. And uh, in week one, we had uh, Nehemiah chapter three, just kind of give you a recap of where we were. And in Nehemiah chapter three, uh, Nehemiah goes back into the city in Jerusalem and they begin to rebuild the walls. And it talks about how all people from all of uh, the, the social classes and everywhere else from top to bottom and everything, they came and they were together and built the wall around the city together and, 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 and fulfilled what uh, bringing God's people back into uh, Jerusalem. And then last week we looked at this story in 2 Kings chapter 7 where these lepers, uh, we learn this story that these lepers, they're, they're about to die. And uh, so they go to the camp of their enemies and see that God has cleared out this camp. And he, uh, so they begin to eat and drink. And, uh, and then they're like, wait, we need to go tell this good news to someone else. We need to go tell our people so that they can partake in God's goodness, essentially. And so what do they do? They repent, they turn, they go back to the people. They go back to the king and say, hey, look, there's good news that we have been saved. We're going to have this food, we're going to have this drink, and it's going to be a salvation for us. It's good that God has provided. And ultimately, we see that points back to Jesus, that there is this good news that we can share with others so that they might be saved and get to partake in what God has for them. And so we've been all over the Old Testament. And the main idea, again, we're talking about being servants, but this main idea that we've had throughout the last two weeks, and we'll continue on this week and the next, is that God uses ordinary people for his extraordinary purposes, that God uses his ordinary people for his extraordinary purposes. And we're going to see that today in the book of Exodus. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your phone, Bible app, another browser, uh, go ahead and go to Exodus chapter uh, 35. We're going to start in verse 30. Uh, but before we get to the, the passage, I want to give you some context here, some history behind this book of Exodus. So the book of Exodus follows the people on their leaving of Egypt, right? Hence the word Exodus. They're exiting Egypt from their captivity. And this book, uh, it kind of starts in that uh, J- Joseph, uh, the last character essentially that we see in Genesis, he is uh, now died. He was in Egypt with his family and, and they were protected by Pharaoh and all of these things. And then that Pharaoh died, Joseph dies. And it said that there was a time in which that the Pharaoh didn't remember Joseph, that, that these people of Israel began to grow and grow and grow. They don't remember Joseph. They're not kind to the people of Israel anymore. And so they take the people of Israel into slavery. And that starts Exodus. And Exodus, we see that now the people of God are captive 
and that God is beginning to work his way to pull them out of captivity, to call them out of captivity. And this morning, I think, I think one of the things that we can see is that God also similarly calls us out of a slavery, but not physical, but a, a, a sinful slavery that we were bound to sin in our lives and God has now called us out of that. And that's kind of the overarching view of the book. But all throughout this book, we see that there are ordinary people throughout. That we get this guy named Moses. And I know what you're thinking. Like Moses isn't like he the guy. Like they, they aspired to Moses in, in Jewish history. Yes, he was, but just, Moses didn't start that way. That Moses was just a Hebrew-born son and was on essentially uh, the, the chopping block. That the Pharaoh at that time that Moses was born was ready to kill all of the male Israelites in, in, in Egypt. And so what happens is Moses' parents send him down the river in this basket and he ends up in Pharaoh's house and he, and he grows up in, in Pharaoh's home and, and some nobility. And I know what you're thinking, like, all right, didn't you just say he was an ordinary guy like us? Like you're saying he grew up in nobility. Well, yes, but Moses leaves that life. Moses makes a, a huge mistake, accidentally kills an Egyptian, and so he flees. He leaves all nobility, and he goes out into this place in which that he can't be found and that he just starts a new life, and he becomes an ordinary guy with a family and kids. And also we find out later on that when God calls him to go back to help set the people free from Egypt, that he's got this speech issue. So you've got this guy who is really just an ordinary guy for all intents and purposes, and he has now got like a speech impediment, and God's telling him to go back, and he's pleading with God, God, don't, don't make me go back. He's like, I don't sound good. So we've got this guy named Moses. All along the way, we see some other characters. We see uh, Caleb and Joshua. We see uh, Miriam and Aaron and all of these people who are ordinary. And then we see hundreds and thousands of Israelites, hundreds of thousands of Israelites, possibly up to a million Israelites here, and they're serving God. They're, they're God's people, and they're fulfilling the purpose of God. And so the main point of the text this morning in, in Exodus 35, starting in verse 30, and we'll jump all the way through chapter 36, is that God, God fills us, God fills us, his people, so that we can fulfill our calling. Let me say that again. God fills us so that we can fulfill our calling. Let me explain that. What do I mean, God fills us? Well, here in this passage, we're going to see it said a few times that God calls out these particular people and it says he fills them with his spirit. That the very God of the universe would come and he would fill the people with his spirit. And then not only that, it says that he fills them with the skill and the knowledge and the intelligence and the craftsmanship that they need to fulfill the work in which God has called them to do. God fills us so that we can fulfill our calling. He comes, puts his spirit in us, puts his skill in us, so that we can do what he's called us to do and so that he can make us who we are called to be. And he can make us who we are called to be. And so let me pray for us and then we'll read the word of God. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you, God. We just ask that today that you would speak to us. Father, that you would open our hearts Father, that you would till the soil of our hearts, pull out anything that would stop us from learning today. And God, would you let the, the seed of your word be planted deep within us and let it grow and take deep root. And Father, would your word in us produce 30, 60, and 100 fold, like your word says. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 35, starting in verse 30, it says this, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Beaziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for settings and carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholib, the son of Ashmash, uh, the, of the tribe of Dan. And he has filled them with the skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver or by a sort of workman or skilled designer, Beazul and Aholib, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And so as we look at this idea that God fills us to fulfill our calling, what do we first see? We see these two guys who are Israelites and they're particularly called by God. And just as we talked about at the beginning of the book of Exodus, God is doing this calling of his people out of captivity, but he doesn't just stop with that calling. He calls these two men by name. He says, hey, Moses, these are the guys that I'm calling, and I am calling them, and I'm going to put my spirit within them. And so we look at that and we see that as an example all throughout even the Old Testament, not just this one place that, that God calls out these people and he says, I'm going to put my spirit within them to do what I've called them to do, to do what I have for them. We see this in Jeremiah, we see it in David, we see it even all the way through the New Testament. We've seen it in our own personal lives that God calls us to go and do something specifically for him. And so we start to bring that home. And we say, all right, well, if it begins with God calling and God filling people with his spirit, that is how it begins for us today, that God must call us and fill us with his spirit. And what do I mean by fill us with his spirit, right? We, we use that terminology, we use that phraseology. There's some, there's some quantifiers to doing what God has called us to do. And the one quantifier, the one thing that has to happen before we can do what God calls us to do is God has to come and fulfill our lives with himself. That we must know salvation, that, the, that God has to bring his spirit to live inside of us. And the only way that can happen is through salvation in Jesus. And I know what you're thinking, right? Like, don't we save the gospel presentation for the end? Yes, typically we do. And we're going to keep talking about the gospel throughout this. But, but I want you to know that if you don't understand the gospel today, everything I say from this point on about serving and, and serving specifically and generally and all of that, it's not going to matter. Because if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, his spirit does not live inside of you. And God has not yet called you to do anything for him. That God hasn't given you this, this specific calling because you haven't responded to him in the calling to, to have relationship with him. We need salvation. What? Of what? What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from ourselves. Ourselves are dark, radically corrupt. It says we were born in iniquity. We were born in sinfulness. 
And that is the very thing that separates us from God. And it says, for the wages of our sin is death. And so we live broken and totally corrupt and radically just depraved. And we need salvation from that because right now on the path that we are without God, we're heading to death and headlong and into an eternal death. And yet God comes and says, I will save you that you don't have to live in brokenness and sinfulness and captivity to your sin. I am calling you out. That I want to have a personal relationship with you. I want to put my spirit inside of you. And how do we receive that? How do we receive the salvation in which God has given us? It says that we believe, uh, uh, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouths. What do we believe? We believe that Jesus came and he died on a cross and he went to the grave, and that he rose again and lives forevermore. We confess with our mouth that he is our Lord, that he is the one who runs our lives. The gospel is good news, and the good news is this, is that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. While we were weak and ungodly, the, the strong, <coughs> excuse excuse me, the strong and righteous God of all of eternity stepped out of eternal perfection. Jesus comes down to earth, is virgin born, lives a perfect 33 years, fulfilling every law and prophet and standard that we could not fulfill. And he dies for us, taking our sin, our shame onto his shoulders, our guilt onto him, and he's crushed underneath the weight of our sin. And he dies and he rises again so that we might live with him. And that is what it looks like. That's what we believe. That's the good news that Jesus can save us by his work on the cross. And now he has called us. And when we answer the call and we say, yes, God, I'm in. I want a relationship with you. I want to see the great love in which you've loved us. I want to know you as father. The, so often the scriptures point to God being our father that once we come into salvation, we are now his children. And it also talks about other language about how he is our, our groom and we are his bride, that he wants a personal walk and relationship with us. And we can have that. And we can be with him. And so once we've responded to the gospel, once we've known Jesus in this way, that he's a personal savior, it says that now we have the very spirit of God dwelling inside of us and now we are called his holy temples that we have God living inside. And so that's the beginning that he calls out and he fills us with his spirit just as these men here in Exodus. But not only does he fill us with his spirit, he fills us with the skills in which he uh, wants us to have so that we can go and do what he's asked us to do. In particular, these men are filled with the skill in which they need to go and build this tabernacle, this wandering temple, essentially this tent that God's presence would get to dwell in, this very beautiful tent that God's uh, presence would be in, and they would be able to go and make sacrifices and all of these things. In the same way, God has called us, and he's fulfilled in us his skills, and he puts his skills that we need inside of us to fulfill the calling he has. One of my favorite professors in college, his name was Otis Pickett, is Otis Pickett. He, um, he used to make the statement that God can take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick every time. I'm from the South, so don't make fun of that. Uh, God can take a crooked stick. He can take the most broken and bent out of shape golf club and get on the fairway 
and in the tee box and hit it straight every time. We are broken people, and yet God uses us, and in his hands and with his skill that he gives us, we can do exactly what he calls us to do. For these men, it was to build the tabernacle, like we said. And for us, it's what he calls us to do. If you're a note taker, you can write this down this morning. Every ordinary right? Ordinary in quotes. Every ordinary spirit-filled person will have a specific call. That every single person who knows Jesus in a real way, though an ordinary person, they are now spirit-filled and God will call them to do something specifically. For these men, it was to build the tabernacle. For myself, I, I felt very strongly the Lord called me to preach and to share in the work of ministry at a church. And some of you might feel that call. Some of you might feel the call to do that. What it meant for me was to, was to move across the nation to be here in my first year of marriage. And I took my first ministry job. It, was, it meant that me and my wife were going to live six months apart from one another. But we knew, we were convinced that God was calling us to that. My wife, though, she, she wasn't called to work in ministry as a, as a kids director or anything like that. No, she was called to nurse. That she became a nurse and she worked in the medical field. And then when we had children that she felt so called to, to stay at home with our children and to mother them. Some of you have just as much as that call to nurse or to mother. Some of you have the call to be a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a construction worker, any of these things. But God has given you this God-given desire for something. And I believe, I, I heard this quote, that where your God-given desire and the world's need meet, that's ministry for you. That God has called you to something specific and he has equipped you to do that thing. I have a friend, he, he feels very passionate about, about construction. And so he went into the construction field and now he works at a warehouse in which he builds walls for different companies. And he just makes walls all day and he, and he feels called to this. He feels like this is what he's passionate about. And so he makes walls. And one of the companies he makes walls for is Chick-fil-A. And you can't tell me he's not doing a more holy work, right? He's, he's building walls to in-house God's chicken, right? But in, a, but in a serious way, my friend, as he has been in this construction job, it's not always easy, and yet he's gotten to share his faith. He's gotten to share the gospel with people in which he works with. And I know what you're thinking. Well, my, my company is toxic. It, it doesn't build walls for Chick-fil-A. I have a friend who works in a technology company far from from building walls for Chick-fil-A's or, 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 or printing Bibles or anything like that. They just work in technology. And yet he has done the same. I've seen him share his faith and hope with others. Is that you have a specific call that God has put on your life and he's going to fulfill you with the skills to go and do that thing for his glory. We continue on Exodus 36 verse 2 through verse 7. And Moses called Beazel and Aholib, and every craftsman in, whom, uh, in whose mind the Lord had put skill, and everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary. And they still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning. And so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and he said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. And so Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed through the camp. 
let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient, and do all the work and more. They had sufficient material to do all of the work and more. So we take a quick look here in verses 2 through 7, and we see uh, a few people listed here, a few ordinary people listed here. We see that there's Moses, and he has this specific role to play. Yes, in leading the people. We see Beazul and Aholab, their specific role to build, but then who else do we see? We see the people of God, Israel, all of the people saying what? That they bring this free will offering. They weren't called to specifically build, and yet they were in this general sense called to help and to be a part of the building of God's tabernacle. So yes, the first thing to see is this, is that every spirit-filled ordinary person is, has a specific call on their life, but we all, as believers, ordinary people, have this general call from God. And that general call is to do his commission and to uplift his church. And we see all of these people, they come and they have these roles to play in the general building of God's tabernacle. In the same way, we have this general call for building God's kingdom. We see in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus says, go therefore, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Just teach them. He says, go therefore, as you are going, as you are out in the world, won't you go and make disciples? Won't you go and let people know who I am? Won't you go and tell them this good news in which you have received? Build the kingdom out there. But not also, uh, but also not only is it out there, it's inside the church, it's inside the building that we're called to serve one another. And that is a part of making disciples and building the kingdom. Yes, it is to go, therefore, and tell people who don't know about Jesus, but it's also to serve one another inside of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes this, this letter to this church, and he, he gives this example. He says, imagine, if you would, essentially a body, right? A body that has heads, shoulders, knees, and toes, eyes, ears, mouth, and nose, right? I have two-year-old daughters. We sing it all the time. Imagine that. He says, all of you who are a part of the church, who are part of the kingdom of God, are all a different body part. Some of you a hand, some of you a foot, some of you an ear. He's like, without one thing, we're not functioning properly, right? A hand wouldn't look at the ear and say, I don't need you. It doesn't make sense because we would be less of a whole body. He says, in the same way, the church, we all function together as one big body. So if someone in our midst looks back who's a hand and says, yeah, I'm good. I'm not going to use the gifts in which God has given me to uplift the body and to build the kingdom here, not lowercase kingdom, but capital K kingdom for God, that we function without a hand. That if someone were to take a step back and say, no, I, I won't serve. I won't uplift my brother in Christ. I won't even make disciples in our midst. Then there's a problem. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. That is the general call of all of the capital C church is to go out and to serve in. And so church, what would it look like if we saw the challenge of serving here 
in Exodus chapter 36, where it said all of the people came and they brought stuff every morning, morning after morning after morning. They brought supplies and everything that these people needed. At some point, the builders and the craftsmen said, hey, they're bringing us way too much. Moses, tell them to stop. We have more than enough. What would it look like if we took the challenge to serve our brothers and sisters and the world this way? That we would bring daily in abundance every single person in the church would bring daily in abundance. I, uh, I want to tell you just a, a quick story. Uh, I've, I've lived here almost a year and a half uh, in Delaware, Ohio. And um, the first few months we lived here, my wife, my children and I, we, uh, we were renting an apartment and then we bought a home. And the first day we were moving into our home, my wife and I, we brought over some power tools and we brought over some uh, paint supplies and things like that. So that way we could do some small projects around the house, you know, before we got settled in painting and hanging some things. And then we were going to slowly all that week, move some things in day after day after day and just make it a slow process, right? Some of you can relate, right? No one ever liked to move everything all at once. No one ever really liked moving everything at all, right? But so we were thinking, we'll just take it easy. So my wife and I, after the first about six hours of us being there, we, we go back to the apartment, we go to, to sleep, and the next morning we get there uh, and we had been robbed. Everything had been taken uh, that we brought, except for the TV, but they did take the remote and the Wi-Fi uh, router, which pretty much made the TV useless, but they, le- they took everything but the TV and, and they left, and man, I remember this feeling of just anger and sadness. I felt violated. And honestly, I was just shocked. And I remember the church hearing this, our church, LifePoint, hearing this. And man, they gathered around my wife and I, who had only been here for about five or six months at that point. I mean, they gathered around us and a whole entire life group that day that we found out we were robbed, moved our entire house in. So that way we didn't have to move day by day by day, small by small by small. They had moved us in completely. That also, our, our other student pastor at our Lewis Center campus, Andrew Clark, came. He bought all the tools in which uh, he needed to uh, change the locks on my door. And he came and he changed every single lock. And it, be, it actually was a lot harder of a process than we thought it was going to be because I have some weird doors at the house. So he changes every lock that I own in the house. And not only that, we, we lost, you know, over a thousand dollars worth of, of supplies and tools and things like that. People in our midst began to drop off anonymous envelopes with cash and ended up covering all that had been taken. That was the church. The church heard the need and they gathered around and they loved us so well. And I'm not just the only recipient of this. I've heard story and seen people do this for many others in our congregation. And so church, I'm telling you, you're doing an amazing job. That we are, we are heading in this direction, but we aren't quite there yet. That if we were to take this, this call to serve in this generous kind of way, this exuberant kind of way that every person comes and plays a part in the building up of the church, that when weeks come that we are, are to feed our, our partner family promise that, man, things would sign up immediately and we would go and feed that when a woman in our midst needs diapers for her baby, that the diapers are bought. When uh, a need arises in our kids' ministry because people uh, keep having more children, people trust us from our community and they're bringing their children here on a Sunday morning, that when they're back there and they need 20 
15 more volunteers that immediately that need would be met because we have found that it's better to serve one another and to love one another as Jesus has called us to love one another and that we are a body and that when there's a need arise, that the body comes together and moves in that direction. And church, I hope you don't hear that as condemning because I think we are doing an amazing job. I think we're well on our way. I've seen so many already just in this series sign up to serve who weren't yet serving. We're getting there. But church, let's keep moving forward in this. And as we draw to a close, read to you a few more verses. Exodus chapter 36. And all of the craftsmen among the worksmen made the tabernacle with ten curtains and they were made with fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarn and cherubim skillfully worked and the length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the breadth of each uh, curtain four cubits and all the curtains were the same size and he coupled five curtains to one another and the other five curtains he coupled to one another and he made loops of blue on the edge and on the outermost curtain of the first set of the first set likewise he made them on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set And he continues on from verse, that's verse 11 from 12 to verse 38, explaining curtains and what this tabernacle would look like. Why is this important? Why do I even begin to read this passage? I encourage you to go read the rest, but why is this part right here important? What do we need to see? I think that the main thing that we can pull from this is that God is the grand architect over it all is that yes, he has called men, he has fulfilled men to do what he has called them to do, but God is the grand architect over the project. They often say here in this passage, as the Lord commanded, that God takes a very vested interest in the building of his tabernacle, his wandering tent in the wilderness, that where his presence would dwell unseen. He doesn't subcontract out the the particular details of what it should look like. No, he dictates to his people what it should look like. And in the same way, later on, he would dictate what his temple would look like, that he would be not the one to subcontract it out, but the grand architect over it all, that he would take a vested interest in the building of buildings and tents. And then now in the New Testament, Jesus comes and he dies on the cross. And it says when he died on the cross, that the curtain in that temple in which he dictated to build tore from top to bottom. And now his presence is here with us in our midst, in our hearts. It says he fills our hearts with his spirit and we are now his temple. He takes a vested interest in us as the grand architect over our lives, making us who he has called us to be. That he didn't subcontract that out, that he didn't stop and just say, all right, go on and do. He says, no, I will go with you and I will call you to be who you are supposed to be and make you to who you are supposed to be. And if you think it's cool that God was vested back then and that he takes an active interest in you now, wait until I tell you what is to come. That God not only is the grand architect over our lives, he's the grand architect over all of eternity. And not only is he uh, taking a particular interest in building this temple, but he has taken an interest in building us a home with him in eternity. Jesus says that in my father's house, there are many rooms and I go to prepare that place for you. That one day when you die and you have that relationship with me, you get to live in the house with the father, not spirit unseen anymore, but father known. 
that we would get to be with him. And now there's no more tears, no more pain. There's no more struggle, no more toil, no more needs to be met. The only requirement we now have is that of looking to a holy God who is the architect of all eternity and singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Honor, glory, power to him forever and ever. Holy, holy, holy. We get to delight in the grand architect's presence. We, his ordinary people, become sons and daughters, getting to be with him for the rest of our days. Church, just where you are at home or wherever you are right now, I would encourage you just to think with me for a minute, bow your heads and close your eyes, right? And just think with me for just a few minutes before we're done today. If you would say that you're a believer, that you know Christ, that you have a personal relationship with him, I want you to ponder a few questions. What are you called specifically to do by God? And are you doing that? What are you called to do? Do you, have you heard that from God yet? Or maybe you have heard it and you're running away from it. What has God called you to do? Would you do it? Are you following what God wants for you? Maybe you don't have that specific call in your life yet, or, or maybe you are doing that, but man, maybe you've not fulfilled the general call and going, therefore, and making disciples for serving and building up the church. Would you make steps in that today? And I ask you this last question, are you excited for eternity? That I know so often that we can, we can get caught up in loving this side of heaven. But man, do you look in expectation for God's kingdom to come, his new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem that it talks about in Revelation, and getting to be with the Father? It's not a drudgery thing to be his child. It is a good, sweet thing. Are you excited? to be with him, excited for his presence to dwell within you. Next, I would ask, maybe you would say you aren't a Christian and you're watching and maybe you've never heard the gospel. Maybe you have heard the gospel, not in this way. Maybe you've rejected the gospel for so long. Let me tell you this today, is that the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Maybe you heard it and maybe you're like, yes, I want to know the love of God. I want God to move in me. I want to know him as father. I want to know him as groom. I want to be his bride or his child or whatever imagery you choose to, to look at that's from the scriptures. But yes, I want to know. It says today is the day. It says you can know God. Maybe you're tired of seeking satisfaction in everything else and you're ready for your soul to be satisfied in him. Would you today trust this grand architect over everything to build you to be his holy temple? Or would you start a relationship with him today? If you would find yourself in that boat, would you pray something along these lines? It doesn't have to be these exact words, just the sentiment is okay. Say something like this, say, Father, God, I ask that I would get to know you today. God, I know I've sinned. I know I have messed up. And God, I ask that you would forgive me of those sins. And God, that you would build me into who you want me to be. That is your temple. God, would you begin this relationship with me? Father, would you show me 
your love. God, for all of us who, who do know you and are struggling with what you have called us to do, whether that be in the specific or in the general, God, I just ask that you would help us move in the direction that you've called us to go. God, you, would you build us into being who you want us to be? God, we praise you, we thank you, we cry to you that you are holy, 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 and you are worthy of all glory, honor, and power. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, thank you so much for joining with us online today. LifePoint Church, you are sent.